Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, John Robb. It's great to be back in 2018. This is our first show of the year. We are joined today for 60 Minutes with two outstanding authors. First, we're going to have H. Terrell Griffin talking about his latest book, Vindiction, and then we're going to be speaking with Tom Straw, and he's going to be talking about Buzzkiller. You might know Tom Straw from being being the person behind the scenes writing a lot of the Richard Castle mysteries. So if if you're familiar with that, then you're going to be familiar with Tom's work. Um, we want to remind you all that we are brought to you again by Kensington Books, so make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their books and their authors. Uh, again, it's great to have everybody back. We had a great beyond the cover with Jeff Ayers. Uh, we were able to speak with Rebecca Drake on Tuesday, so that kind of kicked off our 2018 shows for the year. Uh, the magazine is out, Best of 2017. You can check to see Karen Dion as our Crimson Scribe Award winner of the year. So you want to go and check out Karen uh, for The Marsh King's Daughter. It was an outstanding book, um, one that kind of creeped up and surprised us, but congratulations to Karen for winning Crimson Scribe Award in 2017. So without any further ado, let's hit it now with our first guest. He is um, H. Terrell Griffin. We just call him, call him Terry for short, just to make it nice and easy. And he is now into his 11th book in his Matt Royal series. It is called Vindication. And so we want to welcome him to the show. So, Terry, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? Oh, Which you know what? It's easier if I Yeah, you know what? It's easier if I unmute you before I say that and I click, click the button. So, <laughs> hey, now, Terry, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? <laughs> Got to click that I'm doing button. great, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, boy, we're kinda, an old we're, trial lawyer is kind of cruel, you know. <laughs> well, we were kind of talking a little off the air, and, you know, this is the first time we've had you on in quite some time, and it's great to see your career just blossom the way that it has now um, with your 11th book now in your Matt Royal series. It's called Vindication. And, again, just to see, I think Blood Island was the first time that we had spoken. That was the last time we had spoken with you. So to kind of see, you know, how um, – You've kind of progressed over all these years is outstanding. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Vindication, and then we'll, let's get into Matt Royal in a little more detail. Well, Matt Royal is a retired lawyer who aspires to be a beach bum and lives on Longboat Key in Florida. Uh, in this book, he goes back into the courtroom to uh, try to get his girlfriend's aunt off a murder charge. And the... A lot of the action takes place in the villages, which is a massive retirement community in north-central Florida. So I had a great deal of uh, fun writing it. I spent, my wife and I rented a house in the villages for a month to kind of get the lay of the land, and it's a delightful place full of all retired people, and uh, uh, we enjoyed the time up there. 
So I got a, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the plot, and I think we got a got it done and got it done right this time. So let's kind of look a little bit into Matt Royal. You know, eleven books into the series, uh, you know that's 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 a lot of that's a lot of pages written. I mean, heck. So give everybody, you know, a a little bit more in depth of, you know, when you decided to kind of start a series, how did Matt be the person that you thought would be the one that you wanted to take you further? Well, I spend a great deal of my time in Longboat Key. My wife and I have a condo there, and we've spent a lot of time there over the last 30 years. And it's a great little island. It's uh, uh I thought it would be a great venue for a book and a mystery at that. Now, we actually had a couple of murders over there this year, which is the first time in 30 years they've had a murder. So I had to invent, invent some, and uh, it's, it's worked out uh, well. Even the Chamber of Commerce doesn't find anything sinister about all those murders I've put on them. But we've had a good time writing the book, and I use a lot of characters' names of people in, in Longboat Key. Now, Matt is a guy that uh, burned out early in his career. He was a trial lawyer in Orlando and burned out early, got very tired of the practice of law as it is today, which is follows more of a business model than it does a, a profession. And parenthetically, I would say, as you know, John, I'm a retired trial lawyer myself, so I'm talking about my own profession here. Uh, but Matt moves to Longboat Key and uh, has enough money to live frugally the rest of his life, and he tries his best to be a beach bum, and every now and then he gets drawn back into court. Uh, of the 11 books, this is the third one where Matt's actually in a courtroom. Uh, so it's for most of the books, he doesn't need to be a lawyer. He could have been a a plumber or anything else. He just gets involved in these mysteries. So I've had a good time writing it, and in one sense, I think Matt sort of proves to be my alter ego and that he muses a lot about the what I consider the, the poor uh, presence of uh, the law practice these days. It's a lot different than it was when I started. So that's pretty much yep. Matt. He's got a girlfriend who is a police detective, uh, on the Longboat Key Police Force, that she showed up in about uh, book six, I think. So she's been around for a while. Now, when people hear the words trial attorney, of course, the one thing that I guess that they think of is, you know, criminal homicides, you know, battery, things of that nature. Is that kind of the cases that you dealt with? No, I was a civil trial lawyer. We tend to think of in the profession as, the criminal defense lawyers are the guys that do the criminal stuff. They are the prosecutors. And the trial lawyers are the civil litigators. So that's what I did. But in these books, of course, Matt is trying a criminal case. But there's not much difference in uh, the way those cases are tried. The rules of evidence apply and all kinds of uh, similarities between a civil trial and a criminal trial. So I didn't have any trouble writing about the ins and outs of a criminal trial. And, you know, when you mention and you say, you know, that he doesn't get into the courtroom very often, what are some of the circumstances, like especially in this book, that draw him that have to kind of have his presence 
in the courtroom? Well, in this book, uh, Vindication, his girlfriend, whose name is J.D. Duncan, the police detective, her uh, only living relative, who's an aunt that she was very close to, lives in the villages and is charged with murder of a national best-selling writer. And uh, Matt comes out of retirement to go represent her because uh, it's it's a big deal murder case, and Matt has a lot of experience with that in his former life as a trial lawyer. And so he's uh, taken gets involved in the in the mystery, trying to unravel what happened. And uh, JD, his girlfriend, takes a leave of absence from the Longboat Key Police Force and goes underground or uh, undercover to uh, try to ferret out some of the facts of the case and who really killed the uh, writer because nobody believes that his aunt, aunt Esther did it. So it gets a little bit involved and, and uh, a lot of twists and turns. And then the last third of the book probably is the trial where they actually get into trial and uh, Matt solves the mystery, brings out all the, the facts during the course of the trial. So that's pretty much the book. Uh, it's, um, it's, it was, it's always a pleasure to write for me to write about trials, but I find that, uh, if you do too much, you fall into a, a rut and you keep trying the same case over and over. So this is the third one and probably the last one for a while where Matt actually goes to court. Hmm. So when, so when you don't have him in court, uh, and, and just to kind of catch people up, like on the series, because there's eight books where you know he you, you don't have him kind of going in there. What's more of his role um, in those kinds of books? You know, what 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 does he? You know, what's his main role? What, you know, when he has to handle and tackle in those in those kind of books? Well, he gets dragged into these mysteries because a friend gets killed or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And later, uh, when his girlfriend, J.D., makes an appearance in, like I said, I think it was the sixth book, uh, then uh, she kind of gets him involved in some of these mysteries. A lot of times there there are two mysteries uh, going on along parallel uh, because the... uh, there, uh, J.D., the girlfriend, is trying to solve a police mystery, and Matt gets involved because of a friend, and somehow those cases end up dovetailing. But uh, he's he's he doesn't work. He's, like I say, aspires to be a beach bum and finds that that's a fairly simple thing to do on Longboat Key, and I agree with him. It is a uh, very friendly little island, and... Uh, very, I think it's a unique island in in many ways, unique in Florida islands anyway. Uh, so he he gets dragged into things and has a good time doing them. And as I mentioned, I think he has in three of the eleven books he goes to court, gets pulled into court. I did that in the first book, and I thought I had it out of my system. And the publisher wanted me to give a shot at it again in what was the ninth book, and I really had a lot of fun writing that. So uh, in the 11th book, I took him back into court because it, it was a plot device that worked very well 
because of the connection to the village's retirement community. By the way, that is a sprawling, big, huge uh, yeah. retirement community with about 120,000 residents Holy. up there. So, so it's not. I think there are 75,000 houses uh, in that community, uh, 43 golf courses. I mean, it's a, it's really Holy quite Toledo. a. Uh, yeah, it is huge, um, and it's a uh, it's 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 a great place for retired people because golf is free. Um, they pay a a relatively little bit every month for all the amenities, and they've got so many amenities there. So it's a, it's a good place for a retired guy, retired family to live, a retired couple to live. So particularly if you're a golfer. But yeah. uh, we enjoyed our month up there when my wife and I, when we were, when I was kind of researching the lay of the land, so I made sure I could get it right in the book. When I put somebody on a certain street, I wanted them to, people that live in the village, say, oh, yes, that's the way you would go from point A to point B. And I think you need to be careful with those things. Now, people that have, you know, followed you from, from book one now through book 11, they they've not only followed you know Matt Royal and all the and all the cases and all the things that come with him, but they've also followed you as an author because you know authors change and a little bit of styles are different and, and every little book you know you try to do something a little bit different you got to keep yourself fresh you can't keep writing the same book eleven times over and over otherwise you know you're going to get bored to death and it's just not going to and people are going to notice it so. How have you kind of progressed yourself as an author? And when you're into vindication, you know, is there something that you did, uh, you know, specifically to kind of, you know, be a different kind of author in this book? Something that maybe they're going to, you know, fans are going to notice that's a little different from the previous. Well, John, I write every book as a standalone. It's a it's a series in that that mm-hmm. it's the same characters throughout the books, but it's uh, it's strictly uh, written as a standalone, so you can pick up book eleven or book seven and don't feel like you've missed anything in oh, cool. not having read the earlier books. In fact, I've I've noticed in some of the reviews, people the reviewers have said that they picked up Vindication and didn't realize it was part of a series until they looked up uh, whatever else I'd written and they found out that they had a series going there. And to me, that's a compliment because I I try to make them. <clears throat> Excuse me, so that they are standalone. But as part of that, I try to make every book different. I I get bored when I read some of my favorite authors, and I feel like I'm reading the same uh, book over and over again because they kind of run out of plot lines, and Mm -hmm. I'm very conscious of that. But, for example, in Vindication, uh, it it starts out in the first chapter as – part of a beauty pageant in Georgia, Miss America, uh, Miss Georgia pageant. And all of that works into the final uh, mystery. But what happened there is I have a very good friend who has been on the board of the Miss Florida contest for years, and he suggested that I maybe use one of the pageants. And he was able to give me a lot of the ins and outs of the pageant and so I started it off with there, and everything else just kind of, kind of flowed. Uh, hmm. So it's 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 done in the present. The case, the uh, the the novel happens in the present time, but 
at the very beginning it's a throwback to uh, a Miss Georgia contest 30 or 40 years in the past but it kind of sets up the mystery so oh, I've seen some reviewers say don't stop reading <laughs> don't skip <laughs> over the beauty pageant part because it becomes very very much uh, part of the mystery yeah I, and so you know, when when you kind of see fans, you know, react in a certain way, you know, to certain elements of a book or certain characters in a book, does that something that brings you, you know, do you remember that for the next one so you can kind of, you know, maybe keep some of those elements or enhance those elements or have characters that kind of have the same personalities? You know, do the fans uh, and their reaction kind of give, you know, kind of, kind of help you uh, along your way when you're starting to create a book? Or do you not really think about what they say and you're just kind of doing it on your own. No, I I really do listen to the fans and the reviewers because they have some, you know, as you know, writing is a is kind of a lonely business. But I have the good fortune to have friends that will review my writing as I'm doing it and uh, give me ideas. But fans bring a different perspective, and I enjoy those perspectives. The uh, the same with reviewers like on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Those reviews, they always give me pause to stop and think about something that is maybe important. Or and if you, if I make a mistake, a factual error, I'm sure to hear about it. But those are <laughs> those are good positive criticism because it makes me a little more careful the next time. Uh, to give you an example, in one book I had something happening in a retirement community uh, just south of Tampa, and uh, the uh, there there uh, two names there, and I used the wrong name on the retirement community. Uh, one is Sun City, one is Sun City, and the other is Sun City Center, and mm-hmm. I conflated those two. I thought they were the same village and uh of course a, a writer wrote me and and pointed that out and i thought i mean a, a fan wrote wrote me and pointed that out and i thought that was very good it it made me sharpen up a little bit on what i'm doing and and you know the saying we're starting to hear a lot now is you don't know what you don't know but i try to remember that there are a lot of things i don't know and when i'm writing i try to go back and figure out what it is I don't know and then figure out how to answer it correctly, which is the reason my wife and I rented a house for a month in the villages to uh, really find out what was going on up there. And like I say, we, we love the place, and I tried to show that in the book. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and now you just said something because, you know, you try to be as factual as possible, of course, in the, in the books, but the one thing that – when you're writing a profession like law or medicine or something that has to be very, you know, specific and very factual, a lot of that stuff can also be, I guess, you know, very boring if you're just really writing down how, like, a trial case works. I mean, you know, people just like the dramatization of it on uh, on the Law and Orders or, you know, those kinds of shows. So when how many, I guess, uh, how many liberties do you take to make sure that, you know, the law and the stuff – Days as close to possible, but it still has to be entertaining. You know, we know we can't get DNA over a commercial, 
but you can't yeah. write, if you write it that way then it's like then the characters are sitting around for three weeks doing nothing waiting on DNA and, <laughs> and the readers aren't going to want to hang around right. for that one so how do you kind of balance those things to make sure that the fact is the fact but it's still entertainment and it still works well I try to write it as uh, as factually as I can and keep the rules of evidence as they are so that uh, I, I always say when I write a lawyer book I want it to be that a lawyer can say, boy, now this guy knows his way around a courtroom, but a non-lawyer will understand it. Uh, I'm not using the jargon. For example, okay. I'll, uh, if uh, these books are written in the first person, so if Matt asks a question or objects to something, he quickly explains why he's doing it, and it may just take one sentence to explain it. So it goes quickly, and yet the the uh, fan who's not a lawyer can understand what he's doing. And I've, I think I've been successful with that because I've gotten good responses from lawyers. And I do take a little bit of poetic license with uh, rules of evidence, for example. Uh, I'll let hearsay in where it wouldn't be really allowed in a courtroom. But I don't do too much of that. And uh, it's, it's the dramatic license I use. But the lawyers that uh, write really enjoy the books because including the trial books uh, and so do the fans so I guess I'm doing something right there it's been very gratifying to have the lawyers tell me that they enjoyed them that's good yeah because you know I, I know that it's tough um, because you, you kind of have to you kind of have to play it to people that have no idea about you know those kinds of professions or just kind of what they hear but then you also have people that are in that profession and they kind of know it so you kind of have to do make that balance and and again and you still have to make it at the end of the day an entertaining book exactly those are certainly the three prongs of that stool that you need to to get right and and it's uh, the book has to move along you can't spend way too right. much time on it for example the trial in this book starts after a jury has been picked, but there's a little flashback on on the jurors, just enough to let the reader know what uh, what kind of jury has been chosen, but without going through all the details. You know, sometimes, particularly in a in a murder trial, you can spend days uh, picking the jury, dear, as we call it, and uh, that boring everybody to week. death. I was on a jury for a murder trial and attempted murder. The guy was up for murder and attempted murder, and the voir dire process lasted a week for us. Oh, my goodness, yeah. yeah. Well, they get uh, – and that would bore anybody to death. It bores the lawyers. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I try to leave the boring parts out. <laughs> right. Uh, but the, in, I have to have the prosecutors uh, – have a little bit of a straw man on the on the prosecutors, but in this book, Vindication, the prosecutor is really is a woman, and she really is a an ethical, uh, highly skilled prosecutor. So uh, she and Matt get along fine, and that was the best way to try a case. I always said when I was trying lawsuits, give me an experienced lawyer on the other side every time, because the thing is going to go more smoothly. The lawyers know what's going on. And back in the old days, it was done with a great deal of uh, camaraderie, and uh, the lawyers didn't take out after each other personally. They just 
tried to to cut your knees off factually or, or legally with the case, but it was never a personal thing. And uh, that's changed. So I tried to to set that up so that it was kind of that that kind of uh, tension in the courtroom between a good prosecutor and a good defense lawyer, but still one that was done on a highly ethical level. And in uh, Chasing Justice, which was the ninth book, I had a trial, and I had a really bad prosecutor in that one, uh, uh, an ethical guy. So I got that out of my system, too, making the, the guy a bad guy. But I had fun writing that one. Yeah. So I used a little bit of an interesting device in this one, John, that uh, uh, I do a lot of my writing at Starbucks. And there's a oh, Starbucks okay. in the, about a mile from my house uh, in Maitland where we live when we're not on Longboat Key. And uh, as you may know, Maitland is a suburb of Orlando. But I used their 11 baristas in that Starbucks, and they're all really great kids. And I used each of their names as characters in the book with uh, with their permission. So they oh, were nice. excited about it, and I was excited for them. So uh, all 11 of those guys were in the books, in, in uh, Vindication. Huh. And they, so you went in and you probably gave them all a copy of the book. You signed it for them. I, sh- yeah. I sure did, yes. Each of them got a copy of the book. That's cool. So, so we're getting down to the end, but, you know, we always kind of kind of know, even though that this book is out, people always want to know about the future. They always want to know what to look forward to. So what can they look forward to seeing from you uh, coming up here in the future? Another Mount Royal? You got something else going on? You going to step outside, or what are you going to give them? I'm going to write another Matt Royal book, John, but I've got to, I haven't come up with a plot yet. As we were talking offline, I've had some uh, medical setbacks and I just haven't gotten back to writing yet. I'm, I'm doing great, but I need to get, uh, get my, my head back into a book. I really enjoy the writing process and I just haven't come up with a plot line. I haven't given it a lot of thought, but I guess it's time to get my, uh, what I call my Starbucks cabal together, the, the guys <laughs> I drink coffee with, and see what they can come up with. Uh, but it'll be another Matt Royal book, and I hope, you know, I have to have a, a manuscript to the publisher oh, nine months to a year ahead of publication date. So uh, I'm hoping to have one out by the end of this year, certainly oh, okay. before the end of the year, and it'll probably be out sometime in 2019. The so one at least, so just, at least the good thing is, is that your you know your illness did not you know didn't sideline you so long of course to where you know you're able to get back in and start writing again that's that's important that's good it is yeah and uh, the uh, I, as soon as I get a plot line I'll start writing I I enjoy the process I enjoy the writing I enjoy the the editing and rewriting it's uh, it's fun to get a get a sentence down just like you you think it ought to be. Um, I think I aspire to be some sort of a mix between Michael Connolly and uh, James Lee Burke, although I don't mean at all to compare myself to those great writers, but if I could uh, meld those two together and write like that, I'd be great. Well, hey, Terry, we want to thank you again so much for coming on. Um, com is the website, um, is your website. So that's where 
you know, people should should go to check out uh, everything that you got going on. And again, we want to thank you so much for going for, for coming on. Keep yourself healthy, man. Got to keep writing. Got to uh, keep going. So we'll talk to you in the future. Well, thanks a lot for having me, John. I've enjoyed talking with you again. All right, you have a good one. Okay, you too, my friend. All right, bye bye. So again, everybody, that is H. Terrell Griffin, and the book is called Vindication, number 11 in the Matt Royal series. It is available now. It came out last week, so however you buy books, uh, you can check that out. Go to Amazon, pick it up, whatever format you want to buy it in. We are going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with our next guest, Tom Straw. He's going to be talking about Buzzkiller, um, the first book that he has written under his name that you've seen since 2007, which was the Trigger uh, episode. So we are excited to talk to Tom, and we will be right back after this. Welcome here after the break. Uh, we are excited. Again, 2018 has kicked off. Great show we got here right now. Thanks to uh, H2L Griffin for coming on and talking to us about his stories. Now we're going to be transitioning into our next guest. His name is Tom Straw. Um, his latest book is called Buzzkiller. And the book he wrote before this was uh, 11 years ago called The Trigger Episode. But that's just the ones that he has his name on. And we're going to get into a little bit more about you know, how you know Tom Straw. 
So, Tom, we want to thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? It's truly my pleasure. I'm freezing here in Vermont, and uh, I'm, I know you're probably enjoying, what, 80 or 90-degree weather out there in L.A. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, 78 today. But you know what? We, we love your maple syrup, so keep that coming. <laughs> okay, we great. We love the maple syrup part. I, I really appreciate um, uh, you having me on. It's great to, great to meet you on the air and to uh, talk great. to your listeners. Yeah, and it was great when we got the email you know, from your publicist to just kind of introduce because – you're one of those authors that has been writing behind the scenes for so long and your name was never on it and now you're you know now you're coming out with your own book um Buzzkiller 11 years after the first one that you wrote so let's first tell everybody about you know Buzzkiller and and what you have here Okay, well, uh, I should probably begin. I, actually, if you don't mind, John, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and say sure. know, I'll 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 do the I'll take off the mask here. Um, and, you know, what I've been doing uh, for the past decade, uh, aside from some television uh, projects and things that I've been producing on TV, is mm-hmm. that um, I ghost wrote uh, the first seven Nikki Heat books uh, under the pen name Richard Castle. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and that was kind of fun and, and uh, you know, rewarding on a lot of levels. And uh, I enjoyed, um, first of all, I enjoyed the show. Um, and so when mm-hmm. they asked me uh, back in, God, I guess it was 2009, if I would mind writing um, a book as if I were Richard Castle, uh, but use his name, was that okay? And I thought, yeah, you know what, I, I, I like the show. I really like the executive producer who created it, Andrew Marlowe. And my editor, who had been my editor and publisher for the Trigger episode, my first book, had moved to Hyperion Publishing, which at the time was owned by ABC. And so it was a part of this sort of synergy that they wanted to do with the TV show uh, to have a product come out. And it was really, John, it was initially it was supposed to be kind of a gimmick. It was supposed to really just be a one-off, um, straight-to-paperback, uh, quick-and-dirty novelty tie-in. Well, um, a couple things happened. First off, the, uh, as I turned in my chapters, because they were putting the chapters online as a countdown to the premiere of Castle that season, mm-hmm. Um, they got the fifth chapter and they called me back from Hyperion and they said, you know, we're reading your stuff and we don't want to do a paperback. We're going to go to hardback and we're going to do a full promotion. So I thought, well, that's not the worst thing to hear. No. Nope. So it, 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 it came on the New York Times very low, like at 26, but over a period of three weeks it went up to number six on its, uh, on its debut in the book. Yeah. And uh, so that led to more and more and more. So the bottom line is I ended up doing seven uh, Castle books. Uh, One of them went to number one. It actually came on at number one. That was Heat Rises. Um, And so anyway, to to now get to your question about Buzzkiller, um, when the series wrapped up and when I decided that I had pretty much exhausted all I was going to really get out of being Richard Castle for seven books, um, I decided that I wanted to write one under my own name. Uh, Stephen King was already taken. <laughs> so, 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 so I opted for Tom Straw. And okay. I, one, one thing I knew as I was thinking about what I wanted to do with the new book is I knew I wanted to still do the sort of castle feel of a sure. romantic relationship wrapped around a very deep mystery. So, but I didn't want to repeat Castle. Um, so what I did is I said to myself, you know what's, what, I, what I have not explored, what I find very interesting on a lot of levels, is um, people who are outside the yellow tape, 
who are also seeking justice. And so that led me to a main character uh, named Macy Wilde, who is a public defender in New York City. Um, and I don't know how much you or your audience knows about public defenders, um, but um, they they generally, I don't want to uh, you know, make, make too general a comment, but they generally sure. have limited resources, especially in the investigation area. Right. And so this is one of the things that I found out in my research as I visited the public defenders firms in Manhattan and in Brooklyn and spent days with them in their offices and sort of tagged along and did my own ride along. So that led me to think, okay, let me take um, a really dedicated, ethical, morally centered public defender with limited investigative resources, hand her a very, very challenging case, um, and then give her the opportunity slash curse to be paired with uh, a great investigator who happens to be an ex-New York uh, Police Department cop, a detective, who had been in the Technical Assistance Response Unit, which is that group that basically does all the surveillance for the NYPD. So oh. what, what, what I've built then is I've got a relationship where I've got a public defender with a murder uh, uh, client that she needs to clear, uh, paired with a guy who really is going to help her out, but he goes against everything she believes in in terms of her ethics and, and constitutional morals. And, by the way, they're hot for each other. Huh. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yes. So uh, so developed the story then. And, 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 and you know, it, what I did, and, and, you know, it's sort of the classic uh, structure, I think, for uh, one brand of murders, uh, murder mysteries, is that I began with what we would call pretty much a garden variety homicide case, an indigent client who was a serial burglar. He, he got his nickname the buzz killer because um, his M.O. when he was uh, only a burglar was that he would buzz the apartment uh, vestibule buzzers and find the one that nobody answered and then go in and burgle that apartment. So when he gets arrested for killing someone on his burglary crew, uh, mm -hmm. he gets nicknamed by the tabloids the buzz killer Still, it's kind of a garden variety murder. It's not going to make national headlines. But right. what evolves through the investigation, and especially with the surveillance opportunities that we have, uh, what opens up through the course of the book is a very big widening scope of a very big conspiracy that runs. Uh, I have to chuckle because I wrote it as and somewhat before today's big headlines about Putin and Russia and meddling and money laundering and so forth, all of which are a very, very big part of the book. Interesting. Yeah. Now, of course, the one thing when you when you start talking about, um, you know, public defenders, I, I guess the one thing that I've always kind of noticed when you're watching TV shows, because you kind of put a face to them, they always seem to be like these young, out of law school, bright eyed, never done a homicide before, always settled, <laughs> never want to see the inside of a courtroom kind of thing. So when you're deciding to kind of create, you know, your character, you, you, you kind of have to break that mold to make them think, no, they're not all 25 years old, never seen a courtroom, you know, kind of guys. So how, you know, were you able to kind of capture the dynamic? And, and when you're in there and you see the, the public defender's office, like you said, the resources of them not being able to have, you know, the Perry Mason-style investigations um, – are, is, is really puts him behind the eight ball, and, it all, and it, right then it gives the defendant, you know, even if he's guilty or innocent, it just it just doesn't seem like it gives them the best defense possible that they could put forth in a courtroom. 
You know, that's a very astute observation, and, and I have actually two answers I want to give because one of them okay. runs to the sort of visceral reason I was drawn to this area, and the mm -hmm. other is to address, you know, how do you draw the character who isn't kind of basically a cookie cutter that we've seen a million times before. Right. Um, uh, and, and the answer to both questions, I'll start with uh, this, you know, one first and the other, is, is research. I, I do a lot, you know, and people have said this about my books, is that they are very solidly grounded in what's real. I write fiction, but it's fiction that's based on stuff that could really, really happen and has in some cases. Um, one of the things I learned in my research um, in visiting the public defender's offices and then doing uh, other research online and in libraries and what have you is an astonishing fact in um, the state of New York, which is where this is set, uh, and in the city of New York, the, um, this, this, the law is as follows. The district attorney is only required to provide the discovery evidence to the defender, meaning the public defender or the defense attorney for hire, you know, somebody getting paid a million dollars is the same as a public defender in this regard. They are only required to provide things like uh, crime scene photos, autopsy reports, um, interviews with uh, witnesses, statements made by your own client to the police. They are only required to provide this information, quote, before trial, unquote. And that can and frequently does mean one hour before the trial begins. It's astonishing. And so what that does then is it leaves, the, especially a public defender with limited resources, all of the uh, onerous uh, uh, burden of, of doing your own discovery and finding out as much as you can before the trial comes. And mm -hmm. so... Um, in my time that I spent, and, and it, really, it really speaks to why it's important to do the, do the shoe leather, to actually meet and hang out with people who are in, in the world you're writing about. Right. Um, I learned, first of all, I was very surprised. My TV image <clears throat> of public defenders was 50% of what you discovered, you, you talked about, and then the other 50%, I thought, well, this is kind of like going to the DMV, you know, because you always have that sort of like, <laughs> it's like a Flop. downtrodden, you know, everybody's in a dirty cubicle, and, you know. Yep. I, I was astonished to find that both Brooklyn and in Manhattan, the public defender's offices looked exactly like real law firms, and the people running them were really smart, really um, educated, really savvy, and very experienced. They knew what they were doing. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't young up-and-comers, which is what you want, but it's really a more seriously um, groomed and formidable uh, legal entity than you would think. Um, now, but here's what I did see, though, is that at one of them, they had what they used to have, uh, they called them the Popeye Doyles. What they would do is they would hire for their investigative uh, uh, partners um, former NYPD detectives who had retired. And the reason that these detectives were so effective is these men and women had veteran experience as investigators for 20 years. And by the way, they're retired. They're only 41, 42, or 43. But they can then be allowed to, in addition to keeping their pension, get another job because it's not government work. So the, the advantage or the, the incentive for the detectives to do the work is uh, it's not double dipping. It's basically saying you can legally keep your pension 
and you can earn a side income working as a public defender. The problem at this one particular place uh, was that they found that there was sort of a collision of cultures where you've got these sort of uh, you know, hard-nosed cops not really gelling very well with the sort of true believer um, <laughs> lawyers. And frankly, they had some, a little too much disdain for their clients you know, because they were criminals. <laughs> and they'd spent their lives right. you know, working against them. So this one firm, and I use this in my book, got rid of all of the uh, ex-detectives and changed it so that their new investigative people all came pretty much right out of uh, grad school. Um, and the, the main requirement that they wanted was an interest in investigation but experience in some sort of form of social justice. So what does that do? Oh, it, it, okay. it puts smart, smart people who don't have experience. It takes the person you described a minute ago as the, the cookie-cutter TV public defender and slides yeah. it to the investigator. So I, uh, I use that in my book to saddle Macy, who is uh, only in her early 30s but is the lead attorney in the firm, uh, saddling her with basically uh, a nothing burger as an investigator. You know, somebody who doesn't really have the street sense, somebody who doesn't right. really know how to interrogate. Um, yeah, I remember that, uh, I think it was in the it was in late 80s or early 90s, the, 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 one, the one public defender movie that I thought was really good was Suspect with Cher, but it even showed there that she needed a jury member and Dennis Quaid to help her investigate. So I always found that that, that was kind of interesting if you remember that movie. Um, I did quite well. Yeah, and I and I always thought that was and I and I, I I loved it. I thought it was a great movie, and it kind of showed at the very beginning when she's walking into the courtroom, and all of a sudden they bring the defendant in, and the judge is like, "Okay, Miss uh, blah blah blah, I forget her name. You know, uh, you're going to be his, you know, his uh, his attorney." And she's like, "Wait a second, I'm going on vacation. I don't even know who this guy is." And she's like, <laughs> yeah. "Well, you know, you'll you'll get to learn him, you know, real fast." So when when you decided to kind of, you know, Macy and you have Gunner and you have the kind of, you know, camaraderie kind of, kind of in this book, what was one of the personality traits and the things that you wanted to make sure that the fans kind of understood, you know, who these two people are and the dynamic of not, not, not who they are maybe from the profession-wise, but on the personality-wise that fans are going to, you know, really be attracted to? Right, uh, and, and that's so important. Uh, you know, what I wanted to do was create the sort of uh, uh, opposites attract kind of personality situation. Yeah. Kind of now, like even though, suspect. You know, yeah. he was, you know, I mean, he was a lobbyist, the worst form of politician kind of person that people hate. And, you know, she's a public defender, and they somehow mesh together because it's a, it's a common ground that they both want to find is the search for truth and justice. Right. What I what I did with Macy is I gave her a backstory, uh, and, and and I'm I'm a little proud of the way I described her, frankly, which is that mm -hmm. uh, her her father uh, is a, a very prominent attorney who had been in state government, elected to office, highly prominent. Uh, her mother is in uh, Doctors Without Borders, and oh, okay. what I described is that she had what her father jokingly called the Kennedy gene of public service. So that, that part of, of what she was all about was sort of carrying on that tradition of public service uh, in a way that is all about, um, you know, what is ethically going to make it a, quote, unquote, a better world. Uh, there's a little other backstory going on in the book in that her brother, uh, who had been a, uh, a radical priest, 
uh, had been killed uh, a couple years before. So that adds a little extra bit of weight to her in terms of how she goes about her work. Yep. And her and her view of the district attorney she's working with, who botched the case against his murderer. So yeah, you can see I'm weaving a whole bunch of baggage and hope into this person's right. life. So she's got she's got aspirations and attitude. And so when I bring in Gunner, who's kind of a fast and loose guy, um, he kind of like knows the rules, so he can ignore them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of that. It 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 it, it just raises the hair on her arms. Uh, you know, the first time she meets him, he breaks into the crime scene that the police haven't let her go into. And then it becomes a question. There's a whole uh, scene in a chapter where she stands at the threshold of that door, literally and metaphorically, uh, wondering, should I cross this threshold and go into the crime scene that the police won't let me in? But this guy has now picked the lock. So it becomes very, and of course she does. And becomes, of course, uh, it becomes a series of a roller coaster ride for her, of going along with this guy who's sort of the bad boy who excites her romantically, um, who turns her off professionally, but she absolutely needs to clear the client, and um, so she crosses a lot of thresholds. You know, she goes on car chases the wrong way up a one-way street with him. Uh, you know, she she's involved in gunplay. Uh, you know, she gets herself takes part in a surveillance, which is a big line for her to cross. And uh, you know, she makes a I have her make a comment in the surveillance van her first time in it, where uh, he's defending the need to do this sort of stuff. And she says, "Well, so uh, she she talks he talks about uh, the famous quote from George Orwell, who said that we need rough people to uh, help the good the other good people sleep at night by doing the things they don't want to do." And she says, so quoteth the man, uh, quoting George Orwell, inside a surveillance van, doing an illegal surveillance. So there's that sort of give and take that they have of she's kind of needing it, but she's kind of not liking what she's, she's not liking the line she's crossing, but she sees the need to be pragmatic. And coming the other way, you know, his sort of uh, swing and ways, I'm leaving a word out there, uh, you know, they they um, they get a little bit impacted by her too because he starts to become a little bit more reflective of maybe maybe there is a little bit of uh, middle ground to meet at. Very nice. I, I mean, and of course, this this definitely sounds like it's going to be a series. <clears throat> well, I hope so. correct. I hope so. I have the second book outlined, although uh, I, okay. I I'm I'm. Uh, drawn to another book. That's actually why I'm here in Vermont. I'm up here researching uh, uh, an historical novel that I'm, I'm thinking of doing. In addition, I, I don't know if it'll be next or third, but um, in the, in the uh, same ilk of the Alienist by Caleb Carr, if you're familiar with that. Um, yep. You know, so I'm 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 I have a, an idea for something that I'm doing a lot of research on. I may just go ahead and write the sequel to Buzzkiller because I've got it outlined. I love the characters. I'm getting excellent response to the book. The reviews have been great. Uh, so I'm thinking, well, and everybody says the same thing you just did. I smell a series. So yeah, we'll see if I can keep it going. I mean, because the characters are, are so, uh, I mean, they're so likable, and there's something that, <clears throat> you know, I think it has to keep going on because you. It, it almost sounds like you have more to tell from, from their point of view, and, and they have more stuff that, and more stories that, you know, that they are going to want to 
explore further. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely like something that if you were to do a standalone and leave it like this, I think you'd have a lot of people writing and, and yelling <laughs> at you. You're very kind to say that. I, I think one of the things that I think augurs <clears throat> for sequels is, uh, first of all, she is a very strong character. And I really love the idea, and I love writing a strong woman who's a, who's a lead character. Uh, you know, no, she's not Kate Beckett. She's not a cop. Uh, right. She's not Nikki Heat. She's not a cop. But she's Macy Wilde. She's a public defender. And the other thing is, I think the chemistry of these two and how they go about their work, they're the perfect medium for us to explore what's going on in the world around us today. And as I mentioned earlier, the whole thing of Russian money laundering and uh, right. you know, all the Putin stuff is in this book. Uh, I've got so much more to explore uh, as, as things unfold in the future. So, yeah, I think there might be one, one more coming. <laughs> now, what is the, you know, did you learn a lot from when you wrote the Castle books um, that, you know, you, you kind of, as an author yourself, you know, how did you kind of grow yourself as you wrote those seven books into now when you look at Buzzkiller, you can kind of look back and you can kind of say, you know, if I wrote Buzzkiller a year after a Trigger episode, it might not be where it is today because of the experience you have. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Anybody ever tell you you ask really good questions? <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll get, I'll get a good one. I mean, the thing is, is like I said, I don't. And then just so people know, I don't script any of these questions. I'm literally sitting here, and, and these are the things that come off my head because it's how you answer them, and it's kind of what I think yeah. is, is interesting. So that's yeah, what I, I like about your show. I, that's yeah. what I like about you and your show. Uh, you know, the, there, there's definitely a learning curve. You know, when I wrote the Trigger episode, which is a book that I had in my head that I wanted to do, and I was very involved in television, you know, for people who don't know, I, I like I worked on Night Court, I worked on uh, Grace Under Fire. Oh, my God, Games you World. worked on Night Court? Oh, that's yeah. Literally, that was my favorite freaking show growing up when uh, on that <laughs> Thursday night. It was Night Court. I didn't give a shit about the other three. It was, it was Night Court <laughs> coming out at 9.30 at night because I yes. loved John Larroquette. I loved Harry Anderson. I loved Bull. I loved what they yep. did with you know all three of the all three of the women because two of them kept dying and then finally they got a younger black woman in there. I forget her name as the Marshall other bailiff because that's right. Yeah, Mark, and then Mark Post. I mean, yep. it was great. Oh yeah. And you know, uh, you know, John, I'm still friends with all those people. Um, in oh. fact, I worked with Harry on Dave's World uh, when he did that. But um, so I so really I wish that Harry Anderson was going to show a cameo in the new It movie. I was really hoping they yeah. were going to just just any, yeah. just like a store owner or something. <laughs> something I know he's a great guy, yeah. and so is John. And Marky's Mark, Marky's a real good friend too. The um, yeah. so, so anyway, I had a TV background, and I spent a lot of time in TV, promising myself sometime I'd write a book. So okay. uh, when I finished as uh, executive producer of uh, my, what I thought would be my last show, which was uh, head writer for Cosby, I, um, I said, you know, I'm going to take some time off and write a book. And a trigger episode took me three years. It was interrupted yeah. by other shows I had to do and pilots I sold and stuff. But it took basically sure. three years to write that book. Um, the, first uh, the first Castle book basically I wrote in, in, in three months. And I wrote each subsequent one in three months. And so the learning curve for me was, you know, first of all, the difference is um, the, the construct, the foundation of Castle was so beautifully laid out in the TV series by Andrew Marlowe and fully realized by Nathan Fillion and Stana Connick in, in, their, in their roles that uh, 
you know, I I watched every Monday night. I'd sit down with a, a pad and a pen, and I'd watch the show and make little notes. Not that I would ever use the plot lines. Uh, that's one thing that, you know, Andrew Marlowe and I talked about at the beginning is that I would do my own plots, but what I wanted to do is write down all the little funny things that were happening so maybe I could put a little Easter egg or a wink to the audience in there by having a character or an incident be similar to something that had been in the show once. Um, but um, there is no doubt that the the necessity of a very, very hard and onerous deadline really helped me uh, get better and faster at deciding what not to write and to, to zero uh, in on what's, yeah. what's the essence of this. And that carried into, um, that carried into Buzzkiller um, because when I finished you know, my last Castle book, which was Driving Heat, I, um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to just keep, keep, keep in shape, keep limber mentally, uh, and grooved into this kind of like feeling, and it had its challenges because you know I've got I've got main characters that don't have subpoena power or police right. power or arrest. But I used all that. Good obstacles are good. Um, so I was able to carry through the romantic feel because I was really really comfortable with that, and marrying that to uh, a, a very taut mystery. Uh, I think they were pretty good roommates. Oh man. Well, I'll tell you, Tom, we have come to the end, but I could go on for another hour if we wanted to just get into the TV part of your freaking resume. But I'm so excited and happy that, you know, you uh, bring out Buzzkill, Buzzkiller um, and curious to see, you know, how your writing goes on into the future. So, hey, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on. I've really appreciated it. I appreciate the opportunity. I love speaking with you. You have a great show, and uh, let's do another one. We'll talk about Night Court. Sure, absolutely, man. That and that one will go on for fucking days. I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> the only thing, the thing I'm pissed at is that they don't have all the series to stream. I think they only I put know. season one out on DVD, and I haven't found anything else. And I'm just and I have it, of course. But I'm yeah. just like and I and I've, I've told my kids, look, this is required watching for the household. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to know what sitcoms and what is actually funny, the only thing about Night Court that I wish would have stayed a mystery was he never would have actually met Mel Torme because it was yes, so I, funny to watch yes. him walk into a room and then Mel was just there or Mel just came in or he left and he always missed him, but then he did finally meet him. But I always thought that was always funny. It was funny. But we'll, we'll, we'll spend a day talking about it. I'll pack a lunch, and we'll do another. Uh, Absolutely. All right, All right, man. You have a good John, one. We'll talk you. with you soon. Okay, thanks much. Bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is author Tom Straw, and you can visit TomStraw.com for more information on this book, Buzzkiller, and, of course, going back to his original one, the Trigger episode in 2007. And just from listening, you, you know that, that the details and the writing that Tom puts into this book, Buzzkiller, are top-notch and first-rate. So make sure you go out and check this book out right now, and uh, you're going to be very, very glad you did. We want to thank you all for listening and joining with us here today. It's been a great way to kick off 2018. Looking forward to some great shows coming up here this year. We've got some really fabulous guests that we're going to be lining up for you, so I think you're going to love the lineup in 2018. So until next time, everybody, keep reading. We will talk with you all soon. Have a great one. Bye-bye.